You're listening to Distilling Theology. I'm Blake. And I'm Justin. This is a new podcast combining discussions of theology and distilled spirits. And dad jokes. Amen. What's wrong with you people? You're not David. I don't know why you're clapping. I'm talking about you. Fatality. You know... Starting a podcast about theology and distilled spirits is whiskey business. <laughs> I said that with a straight face. This is Distilling Theology. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Distilling Theology. <laughs> oh my gosh, this just feels well so done. silly doing it, but I'm I'm Thank you for that. Silly so, skin. folks, today we are we are joined by a very special guest. Obviously, yes, uh, this is Les Lanfear of the Reformed Pubcast and the director of a new documentary film called Spirit and Truth. Les, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank we you guys so much have for having you. me. Absolutely, oh, our pleasure, man. So, so go ahead, Justin. <laughs> I was going to say, in the spirit of. Um, Still being able to drink and taste something tonight. Blake, what is in your glass tonight? I have apple cider, actually, because I am uh, a little stuffy this week. So I'm just sticking to uh, some apple cider. What about you, Justin? I have brought with me some hearty chocolate milk. (laughs) All right. And I am ready to I am ready for some serious tasting notes. This is a non-alcoholic episode. (laughs) It is. Perhaps. (laughs) Wow. What do you have over there, good sir? Uh, I'm drinking LaCroix, which might All be right. the, the lamest thing anybody could possibly drink. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's let's get some tasting notes on these right, uh, uh, distinguished beverages. Cheers, cheers and amen. Cheers and amen. <laughs> mm. Mm. I taste apples. <laughs> you know, I'm getting I'm getting I'm getting notes of of chocolate along with some dairy. <laughs> it's it's really smooth on the tongue. This is a this is an apple cranberry Lacroix. It tastes like somebody ate an apple and a cranberry and then burped into a <laughs> bottle of water. Uh, That's amazing. Oh my goodness! Yep. So we are seriously we're really pumped to have you on. Um, Thank you. We both watched your film uh, Spirit and Truth, and it we was did. phenomenal. Very well done. Um, had a very similar feel and uh, beautiful art. Uh, kind of theme uh, as compared to your first film, Calvinist, uh, which was also phenomenal. I've seen it like four times. <laughs> and um, yeah, I, I was I was really, really impressed. Um, why don't you, for those of, who maybe don't know, just introduce what the film's about. And yeah. um, <clears throat> go ahead. Well, so uh, I, like you said, I got the opportunity a few years ago to make a movie called Calvinist, which was all about the uh, resurgence of Reformed theology and um, and it seemed like the next, you know, so it was pretty successful. People liked it. People bought it. So I was able to kind of um, take that steam and kind of see if people wanted to see more movies along that line. So I did another Kickstarter and I suggested a film about uh, reformed worship, the regulative principle and um, mm-hmm. and some of those things that. Uh, maybe a lot, maybe a lot of people aren't familiar with, but you know the circles that I roll in, uh, they <laughs> think it's very important. So uh, people, once again, they 
apparently liked the idea and they supported it like like you gentlemen and uh so over the past year i've been traveling around uh to various you know seminaries and just well-known guys in the the area of worship that that kind of know what they're talking about and um putting together a a movie about um the i guess the the way i'd frame it is i want the movie to encourage people to stop asking what do i want when i mm. come to worship mm-hmm. and the, uh, the the real question we should be asking is what does god want when yeah. we come into worship Amen. and and the answers to those two questions actually look very different mm. yeah Oof. yeah that's really good <clears throat> it's funny uh this all comes at a time so i'm a uh, i'm a 1689 guy and i attend a wesleyan church believe it or not oh, wow. um and uh it's worked out because my dad's the pastor um and as it's turned out over the years he's become quite calvinistic in his uh understanding of theology and and soteriology and he and i have anything to do with you uh it it hasn't hurt (laughs) (laughs) yeah it was about 2016 when i came to uh you know reform understand reform theology and embrace it and um we've had a lot of conversations and He's, I think, kind of been a closet Calvinist most of his life without realizing it. You know, he's always been yeah. a big fan of Sproul and uh, MacArthur and those guys. Um, and lately, he's been really feeling, um, it, it seems like a lot of the more Armenian-leaning denominations have really gone liberal uh, or are liberalizing. And so um, he's been feeling that a little bit with the Wesleyan Church and stuff. Obviously, um, they've always had some different stances like women preachers and things like that. Um, but in particular, in the way that we do worship in church, um, he's been slowly kind of encouraging our worship team to do more and more scripture, more and more scripturally based music and pushing us away from uh, the more modern stuff. And a lot of the, um, I don't know, a lot of this, the more vague <laughs> uh, things. Um, and, and we've we've introduced a lot more every week now we, we do. Um, we, we start off reading one of the creeds. Um, we do the Lord's Prayer. Um, and so it's been really kind of an interesting timing, you know, he and I have been talking about this and now with this film coming out, he's really excited to see it as well. Um, because awesome. it's, I think it really emphasized a lot of what he and I have been talking about over the past, uh, I don't know, a couple of years. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's super encouraging. Hopefully it's a blessing to the church when, yeah. uh, the world gets to kind of see it. You guys got the VIP, uh, yeah. code be- before <laughs> it came out. Yeah, sure we should did. probably put a disclaimer that we are biased in our interview here as we are both Kickstarter backers on this yeah. project. So we are <laughs> we have a, a interest only insofar as I think uh both Justin and I saw Calvinist and and really appreciated the work that you put in on that and the clarity of communication. Um being a fellow filmmaker and also someone who's been involved on Kickstarter campaigns, I know it, it, particularly in the documentary world, there's a million different ways to communicate an idea. And when you're talking about something that can be as austere as Calvinism or the regulative principle of worship, I think your particular talent of graphic visual arts really helps to make those things concrete and accessible because they're, otherwise it's, it's very easy to just get lost in terminology and, and words. Um, so when you were... After you finished Calvinist, did you think you would do another Reformed documentary? 
Um, well, so as I was releasing Calvinist, I was absolutely petrified that <laughs> n that nobody would like it and nobody would buy it. Um, so I took a full-time job right as I was releasing it. And it, it actually really kind of hindered my ability to promote it, but there was huge mm -hmm. blessings that the Lord had um, for, you know, the time that I was at that job. So, you know, no, I'm not complaining, but uh, <laughs> so while I was at this full-time job, I was an editor uh, for a, a local company here that's actually doing some really cool work, but I just kind of got the bug and realized like, you know, if, if I keep working here at this place, the work will get done. If I leave, the work will get done. He'll just hire someone else. But the ideas mm -hmm. that I have, the kind of, you know, the, the, I don't know what, whatever films I want to make aren't going to get made if mm -hmm. I keep working for someone else. So, um, and, you know, so shortly after I left the job, I was able to do the Kickstarter and, and it, it was successfully uh, funded. So I guess that's to answer the question. I, I, I didn't really know, but I hoped mm. and I, um, I, I think for myself, my biggest thing is like what I'm doing right now is so cool. And the Lord has given me such a, um, he's just blessed me so much to be able to do this. And mm. I kind of beat myself up now for just not appreciating it as much as, as I should while I'm doing it. Cause it, sure. it becomes sort of a grind and, um, but yeah, like the past year has been a blast and I've got, I, I just get to meet all these amazing people and then, uh, sure. you know, the, the, the end product, at least with Calvinist was a blessing to a lot of people. So, mm. um, you know, it's just, just so great to be able to do stuff like that. Definitely. That's awesome. And what Definitely. date officially does, it released to the public. Like when, when can people rent or buy on Vimeo? December 14th is the Vimeo release. And then, um, I'll have a pre-order open soon for DVDs and Blu-rays. Uh, but they're being produced now. Uh, so they're not available yet. I know that Very process. Cool. Well, <laughs> yeah. what kind of, what kind of films do you make? So I, uh, actually when I was in high school, I did a documentary short about the first encampment of the Boy Scouts. Um, in America in 1910. So that came out in 2010. And then when I was in college, I did a feature documentary about the Adirondack High Peaks, which are mountains up in uh, New York State. And I, I kind of had this thing of, well, oh, well, why hasn't anyone done a doc, you know, a real nice documentary about this region? And and why don't college students do full full length films? And then I realized both of those things have great answers. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. uh, those, th and then, you know, the funny thing was I was this plucky sophomore um, saying, oh, I'm going to raise all this money on Kickstarter and make a movie. And all the seniors and MFA students were like, no, you're not. <laughs> like, I can't even raise five grand for my thesis. How do you think you're going to raise all this money? Except that I did market research and figured out how Kickstarter worked. And it was nothing as like wildly, uh, you know, successful as some of the ones that are out there, but it was successful by God's grace. Mm -hmm. And then I realized I actually had to make the thing. And uh, <laughs> it was a it was a journey because I was 500 miles away from my subject matter and I was still in school and I worked two jobs. So I was just constantly traveling and uh, it was it was a wild two or three years. But what's funny about that is because of that film, I got my first full time job at a school working for the Lake Placid Tourism Office. And when I was up there was when I really started to reassess my theological leanings. And that's mm. when I started to get into Calvinism because I was like, you know, what's with this? I went to like a very charismatic college. I said, what's with this 
you know, Presbyterian friend I have who's always like got his got his hands in his pockets or, you know, that like <laughs> and why is he talking about predestination and all these big scary words? Like, I don't understand. And then, you know, he and I had a really good heartfelt conversation. And hindsight now it's really funny because I've had so many people the same arguments that I brought up to him are the things that I hear all the time now. I'm like, oh yeah. man, it's it's wild how that works. And then yeah. some, he added me to the pub. And I think it was around the time that you were working on Calvinist. And then through the pub, Justin and I reconnected. We'd been, we'd met so, years ago. Yeah. <laughs> so it, I, it's, it's been, it was what, at least, I think it was close to 15 years ago, maybe 2007. Um, no, it was 2010 because that's when my project was out. Right. So, yeah. Okay. So yeah, it was a while ago, nine, 10 years ago. And so little backstory, my dad and I co-write a series of children's books. Um, we have 19 books. We're, our 20th book is on its way out. Um, we self-publish. We do everything ourselves, And so we do a lot of traveling to, do, uh, you know, do book signings and things like that. And we were at a book signing up in uh, Lake George area. Um, and so I get there and across from me is this this young high school kid selling his documentary on the first encampment. And so, <laughs> so we kind of met there and then... That was really it. We became, I think, friends on Facebook, and that was kind of it. And then flash forward like nine years, and I'm on the pub, and I see Blake's name show up, and I'm thinking, that can't be the same Blake Courtright that I know. <laughs> and so I message him. I'm like, dude, you're in the pub? And he's like, yeah, I'm in the pub. You're in the pub. I'm like, what? And then we just reconnected then, and just it was between it was it was because of the pub and because of Reformed theology that we're here now, um, which is really so cool. cool. So, Praise so, yeah, the Lord. It's it's always nice to hear good things about the pub. Amen. Well, actually, that, that kind of makes me think of, a, of an interesting, unique question. Was So I was listening through um, some of the pubcast episodes, and did you guys start... I don't know the full timeline, so I know you guys started the podcast back in 2013. Yep. Um, did you make the pubcast, the pub group, like, shortly thereafter or before, or what was, and then... When did it, it like was, explode? Yeah, it was the week that we released. So we released the episode technically first. Yep. And then we decided, yeah, we should probably come up with a Facebook group for, and it was a fan club for the podcast. Uh, that's what it was supposed to be. And, um, <laughs> hopefully you had known. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and actually, like, um, the, the original thing. So Marcus Pittman had this group, uh, uh, reformed brew. That's what it was called. Mm. And so, uh, Tanner and I got this idea to make a podcast and, and it was kind of, we were inspired by this Marcus's group reformed brew. I just like reformed theology and beer. That's so cool. So we, uh, we dropped in there one day and I, I made a post that said, uh, I'm thinking about starting a podcast and I'm going to call it the reform brew podcast. And I thought I was sort of blessing this group with this, you know, this great <laughs> idea that I had and, you know, pay homage to them. And Marcus jumped into this comment thread and he like, he's like, absolutely not. I have that name copyrighted, uh, cause I'm going to do something with it, you know, do not do that. So I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay. Okay. No problem. My bad. <laughs> And then some guy that uh, has disappeared since then, I think he deleted his, his original comment. I don't even think the group's around anymore, but he got he did not like uh, what we were doing. But he just mentioned, why don't you call it the Reformed Pub Cast? And we were like, eh, whatever, sure, sounds good. <laughs> so that's where, that's where the name came from. 
and then uh we so we ended up competing with, I guess, competing with Marcus's original group. Marcus now thinks it's hilarious too that you know he, he looks back <laughs> at that and he feels dumb because he never even used the name or anything. But uh, so that's how it all started. And then uh, I, I think it was just the appeal of that name, like mm-hmm. Reformed Pub. So people and it, and it really was just like the two most hipster things happening at the time: Reformed theology and craft <laughs> beer. And right. they were just they were just sort of overlapping in time. And uh, people stumbled across it, and they loved it, and they they jumped in, and it got a really cool culture. And then over the time, to- over time, you know, things have changed and evolved and devolved. If you <laughs> if you want to listen to some people, um, and I'm not I'm not as much involved as I used to be, and I want to be more in the future. I've I've kind of uh, haven't had a whole lot of time, um, but sure. hopefully now that the movies wrapped up, I'll be able to. Uh, reinvest some time in there and maybe even some podcasting. I don't know. You know, Ooh. it's also because of the pub that this podcast started because we did a live stream in the pub where we were just, he, Blake was visiting me um, and we were just sipping some whiskeys and talking about like Star Wars and Reformed Theology. And people were like, hey, do you guys have a podcast? Because like we would listen to this. Nice. <laughs> and so we sat on that idea for about a year. Yeah. And I've I've definitely made more than a few uh <clears throat> jokes at our own expense of yeah we're we're you know we're two lay people drinking distill drinking alcohol and talking about theology we're not yeah. that other podcast yeah, yeah. Of two well, lay people. there were quite there were quite a few uh people that that uh, jumped on the bandwagon there yeah it's a pretty awesome i mean it, in one sense like it's kind of amazing it's, it's silly to think about it in, in, on the one hand but on the other hand it's awesome to see how the lord has stirred up that kind of passion that there's so many people who want to self broadcast their excitement about the things of God Mm -hmm. and that it's kind of spurred into this whole subgenre that's crowded, but kind of amazing in the same, in the same regard. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. We, we like to think that we inspired some people just like, Oh, these idiots can do it. I can do it too, (laughs) which is great. So what's next? What's next for you, Les? Uh, well, I, uh, during that last Kickstarter, I, uh, promised that if I raised a certain amount of money, then I would make a uh, teaching series out of the spirit and truth, mm. uh, you know, the, the content. Mm. So that is next. And I'm hoping to get my son involved with that and kind of show him how editing works and, and all that. And hopefully he can be a help. Um, cool. so I don't know when that's going to be out, but I, like you said, you know, I, I raised the money and then it's like, oh, no, now, now I have to do this thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but it's good. So I, I know what my next job is. That's uh, better than I was when I finished Calvinist. I had no idea what to do next. And uh, I have I have two ideas for another movie. Um, and I guess we'll have to see which one of those wins out in the end. And uh, we'll see if people want to. I mean, so on one hand, people look at the whole Kickstarter model and it's like, how long are you going to do this? Just ask people for money. Um, so it's like, on one hand, it looks kind of like begging up front, but really, ultimately what it is, is, is pre-orders, um, right. along with some people who are passionate about it and actually want to give like way more than what pre-ordering a movie would be worth. So... Um, so when I think about it that way, I don't feel too ashamed of myself for, for <laughs> no, begging people for money for a month. That was my big lesson when I did 46ers because I raised a certain amount on Kickstarter and then we kind of had like an ongoing like 
this was before they introduced all those like uh features of oh you know you can keep giving like that wasn't a thing in 2013 huh. you know that that feature came later so i was just doing paypal on my website like hey keep pre-ordering and then yeah. i did another campaign in 2015 to get the audio covered because i was like i have to pay a composer and pay a sound studio to actually make this thing sound professional and uh it was definitely exactly what you're saying like well yeah it appears like begging but at the same time it's involvement it's pre-order and it really did develop that same kind of exciting community on our facebook page we had this interesting following and i, I don't know if you experienced this but i had a lot of people writing me it was always the people that would give like five or ten dollars and telling me exactly what i needed to do on this project <laughs> and like how they think that it should go it's it's almost like people who who really have issue with certain feature films that i'm not going to talk about because of controversy uh certain popular movies that might be relevant soon but um people always are like well this isn't what i thought you should do did you experience yeah. that at all on either project where you had people like i um i don't know maybe it's because of the podcast and the fact that mm -hmm. most of the people that supported what i was doing kind of knew who i was um maybe that's why i didn't really get much of that i think people kind of trusted me um and hopefully after Calvinist, I kind of showed that at least I can produce something. So, you yeah. know, the, but I mean, there, there were people for spirit and truth that gave, that gave a lot of money, um, like a surprising amount that I, I just can't imagine people are just throwing this stuff around to, you know, for things they, <laughs> things they believe in. And obviously it's appreciated yeah. and it's for, for the Lord's, the, the Lord's kingdom. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, there was, there was like just a couple little notes from people that were actually very invested, not five or $10 people. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and even then it was, it's like, I'm not, you know, they, they, they understood that at the end of the day, I'm the, I'm the creative direction on it. And, um, you know, they get their credit and I definitely appreciate them being a part of it. Um, but I, I kind of have to, that, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to, you can't just say no to people, but, um, right. at the end of the day, it's. <laughs> I'm responsible to make this creative, you know, uh, yeah. package. So as, as someone who hasn't used Kickstarter yet, maybe in our future, but, yeah. um, as someone who hasn't yet, I, I, I look at it from the outside and I don't see it as something like begging, but I see it as something more like it makes sense. I think when we consider the way that, um, I think the generations are moving the way, how everything is on demand streaming and all that, um, people want to be able to pick what they want to see. And so in a world where people are talking about, okay, no, I want this and I only want this to be able to say, okay, well, now I can actually invest my money and get what I want to see with my money. Um, that seems to make, make more sense to me. I've had conversations with people about this before where it's been like before Kickstarter was a thing where it's like, you know, I don't want to watch all this extra stuff on TV. Like if I want to watch something like, why can't I just say, okay, this was a good series. I want to, I want to put my money towards this. So it keeps going. You know what I mean? So I don't yeah. know. To me, it kind of makes sense. I like that. I like that. Yes. Listen to Justin, everybody. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> Support independent film. <laughs> Amen. So in that process, um, what were some of the things that you learned in like the production or the Kickstarter or the, the, the putting together of Calvinist that you took with you going into spirit and truth? Um, well, really just everything really. So I had, <laughs> I had, um, a little bit of background in the film industry. Uh, it, 
this like millionaire, a city south of me, uh, decided he wanted to buy a visual effects studio and like a, you know, a well-known visual effects studio from LA. So he just bought one and then he ended up building it, this, this multi-million dollar studio in like 15 minutes from my house. And then did this open call to our city of like, Hey, if you know, Photoshop, basically like come and try out, (laughs) try out for these jobs. And they, so they hired 30 of us and then they did a boot camp and they trained us on how to do visual effects, uh, post post-production stuff. Um, so that was just this ridiculous providential circumstance that got me able to work on like trans (laughs) transformers three and Smurfs and Epic and, you know, these, these Hollywood movies. So I got a little taste of sort of how things work, at least how studios operate, uh, mm-hmm. and how to be a piece of the puzzle in this, you know, overarching. And, you know, it's so many people doing so such small little jobs in this pipeline. It's crazy. <laughs> um, and so that gave me a little, at least a little bit of confidence. And so when I made Calvinist, I had to learn all the actual stuff. Like I'd never really done editing before, I, except for, except for audio editing for the podcast, which was, which was actually really helpful. Like it, it gave me a really good sense of, of, uh, timing and stuff like that. So I'm glad I did that for a couple, like three years before I did Calvinist. Mm. Um, so I learned editing, uh, I knew how to take like photos, but I'd never really done much videography. Um, audio was like a whole new thing to me. Um, so I kind of understood how these things worked, but I'd never really put it all together before. So um, if Calvinist is halfway decent, um, it is, it's a miracle. And then I do feel like most of those skills were sharpened, uh, a little bit more for, for spirit and truth. I think my videography is, is better. At least I can say, I think the, like the framing of the interviews is, is, uh, is better. Um, you also picked a lot of guys with good accents as well. Oh yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely. <laughs> Yeah, those were those actually both of those guys. I didn't even know either of them, and I went to this, um, this uh, this getaway for Means of Grace pastors called Twin Lakes. And uh, while I was there, uh, I just I got nine interviews over two days, which is crazy. That's like that's yeah. insane. Wow. Yeah, it was a gold mine. Um, and both of the guys with the the great, it was a Scottish accent and a North Northern Ireland accent i believe uh yeah it's fantastic <laughs> it's great that's providence amen wow so for so our audience is kind of a mix of different traditions and, and backgrounds so um now as we're like get, getting into the meat a little what if you could summarize without giving away the whole movie um how would you explain uh, like regulative principle and normative principle, because I know at least for me from a broadly evangelical background until I'd gotten into the pub and started reading this stuff, those were terms that I, I'd never heard before in my life. Yeah. So, um, I think that, a a lot of people, when they think about how we worship God, um, I guess a lot of people default to whatever I think, think feels right, um, is right. And unfortunately, a lot of the, the churches are perpetuating that idea. They should know better, but, uh, the philosophy of worship in America has definitely become 
um, whatever works, whatever people like, that's what we're going to do. And, um, and people don't really see that that's a problem. Uh, and so, th so there's, there's that, there's that side of the spectrum. There's the, um, the do whatever I want and it's, it, you know, make it reflect, um, what I like in movies and what I like in music and, uh, just my, my preferences in the world translate that into the church. And there's sort of this other side of the spectrum, which is, um, make my religion look very much different than my secular normal life. And then everything's sort of like mystical and, you know, there's incense everywhere and uh, candles <laughs> and everything just has to feel very, uh, surreal and, um, and spiritual. Uh, and so that second one is basically, uh, like if you take that up to the, highest level it could possibly be where it's all super superstition and man-made religion. Uh, that's what the reformers found themselves in. Mm. Um, especially, you know, Martin Luther, his, his was just reacting to all of this man-made religion that was actually burying the gospel. Mm -hmm. And so, so he started to, uh, you know, the, the reformation, the 95 theses and all these things, uh, was recovering justification by faith. But along with that, he was realizing that uh, the worship practices in general, you know, they were selling indulgences to get people out of purgatory. Right. But they were, <laughs> but they were also like the the practice of the mass was a resacrifice of Jesus every Sunday. So he's being resacrificed, mm -hmm. which completely goes against scripture. Um, and so the actual worship practices were unbiblical and antithetical to the gospel. So Luther starts to sort of clean up some things and but at the same time he he didn't want to like make worship look completely different and make people alienated and have no idea what's going on. So he was trying to do like a gradual reformation. And so the second generation refor uh, reformers really took it to the next level and uh they went back to what I would say the Bible has been teaching all along which is especially when it comes to worshiping God, you don't get to invent anything. Like you're not, <laughs> you're not allowed to come on your own terms. Yeah. Uh, and God has actually killed people in the past for coming on their own terms, uh, especially when he specifically laid out what he wants. So the reformers were trying to return to that. And this idea of, uh, of worshiping in purity, um, was the big emphasis. And so what that ultimately does is it strips away both sides of that spectrum. It's not about what I want and what I think is cool and fun, but it's also not about man-made religion and, and all of these super spiritual sounding things, but it, it brings us back to a sort of simplicity and, mm. um, and simply looking at what is it that God wants. And what you end up with is something that isn't, um, isn't especially entertaining or, uh, you know, it's not, not exciting to your senses because the things that God has asked for are actually very simple because we're approaching God by faith, mm -hmm. not by sight, not by, um, you know, euphoria, not by some kind of emotion that we're producing through what we're doing. So, yeah. but if we believe 
that this is what God wants, and we're responding in faith, and God has promised to communicate with us and visit us and pour his grace out to us through those things, then uh, that is right worship. And so that principle historically has been called the regulative principle of worship, meaning that uh, the Bible regulates what we do in worship, and we only do what God has prescribed. So we're careful to look at what God has told us to do, and we do as far as possible, as much as possible, we do only those things. Yeah, I love that comparison in the film between that and doing only what God prescribes versus doing anything that isn't strictly forbidden. Right. <laughs> and I've which is, which is Luther's, right. Luther's uh, philosophy. Right. And um, yeah, I'd, I'd never thought of it in those terms before. And it's, it's a really good, good way to lay it out. Thanks for listening to our conversation about worship with Les Lanfear, the director of Spirit and Truth. We hope you check that film out. To see part two of the interview, head over to patreon.com slash distillingtheology. Get that episode before it's released and get all our episodes before they're released as well as exclusive bonus content. Bonus content.